Welcome to Required Listening. I'm your host, Scott Goldman, Executive Director of the Grammy Museum. Each week in the Clive Davis Theater, I have the unique opportunity to speak to artists from across the musical spectrum about their career, their inspirations, and their creative process. With Required Listening, I'm thrilled that I can bring these interviews to you. On today's episode, my conversation with Nathan Willett and Matt Moss from Cold War Kids. Cold War Kids released their debut album, Robbers and Cowards, in 2006. They were immediately recognized for their lyrical tales of yesteryear and their blues rock approach. But throughout the course of their years together as a band, they've been really unafraid to make lyrical and sonic changes to what they do. We got together after they released their sixth album entitled L.A. Divine. And the album is very much about their hometown, Los Angeles. Nathan mentioned that he's always looking to balance the personal with the fictional element and the inspiration he found in the gritty Los Angeles writer, John Fonte. He also gives the audience a lot of credit, recognizing that people can tell when a song is overthought. So let's go to the Clive Davis Theater and listen to my conversation with Nathan Willett and Matt Most of Cold War Kids. Our guests this evening burst onto the music scene in 2006 with their stunning debut, Robbers and Cowards. They're here tonight celebrating the very recent release of their sixth full-length, good to know, studio album entitled L.A. Divine from the Cold War Kids. Give it up for Nathan Willett and Matt Most. Thanks, Matt. Got a mic right there. Yeah. Hello, hello. How are you guys doing? Pretty doing good. good. Yeah? Yeah. Oh, cool, yeah. I haven't talked from my pedal board uh, in this manner before. It's like okay. two different worlds to be in where you're like looking at well, that. Yeah, and well, you, I'm thinking, well, you don't have to worry about that for, for, for the talking Yeah, yeah, part. yeah. I won't add any reverb. Unless we need to process your voice in some way. No. Yeah, okay. Um, thank you both for taking the time and bringing the band down. So I want to start with the new record and then, you know, we can kind of wind things back as we go. But I I was recently interviewing um, an an artist here who said to me that every album that he makes is a reaction to the last album he made. And, and I'm wondering, so tell me, tell me how LA divine may or may not be a reaction to hold my home. Yeah, uh, that's a good. That's a good one. It's a big, big, big idea. Um, we only. I mean, have, there's always we only a, have big ideas here at the Grammy Museum. There's only. Let's see. There's something about making an album that you're. I think there's been a in my mind from the first record, and how you know every band has a similar story of writing songs and and touring them and then going in to record them in a, in a way that is. Not every band, but are, are, yeah, a lot of bands. That that story of like where you go in and you record, it's very organic, and you you work with what you've got, and and it, it feels like just a flow of like a, it's very natural. And I think that was you know our the way that we experienced it. We made the first record in like maybe ten days or something, and um, and it just was uh, songs that we're so familiar with and that yeah. we played so many times, and that's how it goes, and, and the way that it sounded, and what we wanted to to do with it, and um, and so. You know, in in all the paths that you take after that, in a way, I felt like for this record, Ellie Divine, for the sixth record, like there's something about um, taking everywhere we had been 
sonically and songwriting and every and just kind of really just kind of trying to do the best version of, of everything that we have done yeah. which is that's the way that I kind of thought about it going into it was there's been uh, a real consistency in the the origin of the Cold Orchid sound that I wanted to really kind of like have this sixth record kind of just like do the best version of that but have the songs be front and center yeah so it's almost a reaction about all five records yeah yeah Thank you, Most. Mm -hmm. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. So I guess you interpret. Yeah. Yes. Got it. It's our, it's our greatest hits that is uh, not the greatest hits. New songs of greatest New song, hits. Yeah. New songs yeah. of greatest hits. <laughs> because, you know, one of the things that you guys have been relatively fearless about, I think, is kind of changing up your approach album by album, changing the sound, maybe changing the approach to songwriting. You know, it's so weird. Like, I feel like we've, Relative to like a true left field turn, which would be something like making a, a gospel reggae record or something, <laughs> yeah, you know, I was that's like say a Luther Vandross record. Oh man, yeah. that'd yeah. be so fun. That's a great <laughs> idea. Um, but something that is like deeply conceptual and out of character. Yeah, I always think like that would be something that I could see people being. You know, if if I love this record and then you do that and now I'm mad at you. Mm. I could see that. But for like the kind of changes that I, I feel like are have not been like enormous risks, enormous uh -huh. like shifts in style and tone. But it is interesting hearing people's reaction that is almost that severe. <laughs> you know, yeah. that you almost yeah. went like that far and you're like, whoa, we didn't even go that far. Yeah. So that that is has been interesting to me. And I and I I guess I sometimes wonder was it was it different at any point? Like was it different in the seventies when like a band would be like, all right, now we are gonna do the weirdest possible thing. It might be a little safer now. But there's also a great thing, I think again, like for this record wanting to be like like I don't totally want to discover something totally new. Like mm -hmm. I wanna write the best songs within the kind of tools that we've had all yeah. along. I'm wondering if you guys, you know, because the last record had a song on it on the first, you know, which number one on alternative charts, people responded very positively and, and strongly. Apparently to, it holds the record for second longest running alternative number one in the charts history. <laughs> but it was called First. Did you know that, Moss? I, I knew that, but it doesn't make sense because it's called First, and then you thought, it, you, you know, yeah. it's the second. Yeah, yeah you, you guys, you know, odd. somehow managed to, to title the song First, which was, you know. It's the first, second so prescient, song that did that, yeah. to say the least. But that comes, it strikes me that that kind of success and attention comes with a little bit of its own pressure in terms of as you go in to make the next record, are you thinking about that? Um, well, with this one, I guess, like almost the way that everything has worked for this band, the way that's always been for us, we've had this like, I mean, it really has in many ways been like a kind of a fairy tale experience where like even from the first record and how totally oblivious and naive we were to anything in music mm -hmm. industry or labels or anything and we just got to we got to go on tour for fun and and book our own shows and have no idea what we we're doing and 
and have that experience for a couple years before it got weird or bad and 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 in a time when it was and then it was like it had a, a very cliche fairy tale thing where like at South by Southwest we found our our booking agent and our lawyer like in our label and and things have gone I always think about how it's like 99% of people that give their life to music feel that it was a they're they're not sure whether it was a good deal or not yeah like we we have been incredibly lucky and um so yeah i guess uh i don't know why i kind of went that direction but what was the original question (laughs) (laughs) honestly you lost me yeah 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 but but it's good (laughs) it's good so so let me let me ask you let me ask you this you are you are very much into kind of the the literary songs you know lyrics and you have a, a you know a love of putting you know the right words together with the music and i'm wondering if if there is a thematic thread to la divine what's what's the story you're looking to tell uh, the story i'm looking to tell i guess i that that balance between there being a, like a very personal element to the narrative and there being a fictional one that is you know me and not me and i guess that's always been kind of the goal and one one thing that my mind goes to is the like uh the writer john fonte in his book like ask, ask the, the dust, dust. Yeah. yeah like was... that to me is like it, uh, is... what what is it about that book that so inspires you cuz it's it's a for those of you who don't know john fonte great gritty author wrote this book about his experience here in Los Angeles and it's it's rough. Yeah, I think that he has a, a kind of a sweetness in in and roughness mm-hmm. and just the highs and lows, the emotional roller coaster mm-hmm. of his life, his experience and and he'll go like he could get a hundred dollars and and be the happiest person in the world and spend it all on the dumbest things and be the saddest person in the world, just in one page and like in and, and there's a lot of religion in it there's a lot of religious guilt in it there's a lot of the the religious inspiration in it and then there's just uh just his outlook on life is so um it's not one thing it's all over the place and polar and but he has these huge dreams and then also can fall so hard into depression and i think that because it's almost like a, I mean almost like a hundred years ago that he was writing this yeah there's something about the the purity of that time that I love so much that I guess found its way here in a way that I relate to a lot. Yeah. Um, you've also talked about, you know, kind of a, a, a thematic um, element running through the record about surrendering to feeling. Mm-hmm. Is, is that something that's been a challenge for you previously in terms of kind of surrendering to a sense of feeling that, that maybe you didn't want people to hear or know about you? Are you saying you get like from the lyrics you're uh-huh. you're you're yeah. you're deciphering this? A, a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> okay, cool. Yeah. No, that's great. Um I I mean <laughs> we're still the record's so new to where I'm still kinda like I don't know I always like to sort of not no, like leave it to people's interpretation. Right, right. Not right. totally know what it is. But sure. yeah, I personally always sort of struggle to get out of my head, mm-hmm. you know, and just to write something that's more than working my way out of uh my own rambling yeah. um, takes a lot of work, and uh, so yeah, uh, surrendering to feeling. I think that's one thing that's going on there. Learning to, um, I think it's you know that's something that I definitely wrestle with and feel a lot is that thing of like wanting to be of 
very transparent on the surface hmm. giving person but knowing like in a lot of ways that's not who i am but that's who i want to be yeah how how has the songwriting evolved over time because you know when you guys started you were all pretty young how has it evolved to where you are now and has it changed uh, another weirdly, I guess one of those hard ones for me, <laughs> but, it, but, uh, I think in a weird way, the song first taught me a lot about what works and how to not overthink certain things. Mm -hmm. And, um, there's something about kind of the looseness of that song and how, like if someone was to say, what is that song about or what does it mean or what is, um, I would be like, it's so scattered. And, and, and I'm really, in a lot of ways, surprised that people related to it in the way that they did because it's a very stream of consciousness kind of mm. style yeah. and not like, there's narrative elements to it, but it's very like, it was because of the nature of like, we were, we were done doing this record, kind of had this song that I wanted to finish very quickly and I didn't have time to overthink it. And it was the way that I went in and sort of finished writing it quickly and, um, that kind of taught me about putting it all out there and not being able to go back on it. Mm. And I think there's something very important about that. But at the same time, that's not like the recipe for how to <laughs> always write songs. Yeah. yeah, for this record, I actually, Most has a, a great house in Silver Lake that is like a little weird cabin that is uh, like, a, like a kind of like a, a retreat almost. It's a cabin. Yeah. yeah. And uh <laughs> and there was there's a lot of days that um so as as we were kinda enjoying the success of, of first and this thing happening that in many ways it's so bizarre, but when you've been a band for ten plus years and uh -huh. you see an audience that is like you start to realize like, oh, these people don't know first record songs at yeah. all. They know new record songs and it's like, it's really a trip. It's a crazy thing to see. And so I wanted to make this record in a way that was like before anybody was asking, before anybody was looking, like, mm -hmm. let's get this thing done because I know what it needs to be. You know, and that was a, a lot of the, like just the feeling I had, which is a great feeling knowing like, I'm not like gonna search a lot. I know what this needs to be. There's um. I had the feeling of like, it's all been leading up to this, you know? And like, so I went to his house a lot of days and just, uh, he has a lot of art books on the wall and a great couch. I don't like being home in the daytime. It weirds me out. So yeah. He was there all the time. I always felt bad. Moss, you, is it okay you, if you I were come gone. over? I don't, I don't want to be yeah. home. I don't want. I'm down at my studio, yeah. So I would just, I would go there and write and that was great. And uh, I could, I could spend 10 hours doing that and I, do think it's the most un-rock and roll, boring, totally like strangest part about record making where I think the idea of sitting there writing and rewriting and being, and now I, I gotta go get some coffee. I gotta go, I gotta, this is, you know, it's just, it's painstaking. That part of it's very, um, it kind of is punishing and, and it, starting over on songs and going that way, um, especially when it's not like, uh, you know, a five verse, 10 minute song. Like it's, every word is very important. And I, like, I wanted to treat it that way of just like giving, giving everything to it. And, and I'm really glad how it turned out. Do you, I mean, do you prefer to work fast? Do you find that by not laboring over things, it's actually better? 
it's all about like kind of the time in between where like it, you can be so prepared going into it. Sometimes if everything is sort of set up in a way by everything like like the band is around and and able to jump in and mm -hmm. and the producers there and it's like it's all about creating that environment yeah. that can potentially allow things to happen very quickly. Yeah. It, it, that's truly where I feel like creating that environment for me took the last 10 years to to totally allow for like a song to come very quickly and and for it to be done and and even forget about it and never go through the process of loving it and then hating it and then loving it again and, yeah. and beating it up and all that stuff. It's yeah. like, and that's why this record was totally different. It, like these songs feel so new to me and I never, you know, and I, I never hated them. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I mean, we've had, you know, any number of, of producers here over time who talk about working with artists. And, and one of the things that they try to prevent is laboring over something such that you get to hate it. After all, I mean, that's that does not seem to be conducive to a quality creative process. Uh, yeah, it it is. It's a strange thing. It's one of those things that I do think you have to learn for yourself, though, weirdly, yeah. because I understand why like a producer or any would want to give you the space to like you have to figure it out your way. Mm -hmm. And some people that is their way to spend forever. But songs are, you know, magical and strange in that way that you can spend days and days and months on i also think the world like where the music industry has changed so much in the way that like making an acdc record and spending three weeks on the snare sound like <laughs> i think that's it's not like that's gone it's about there's like a, a a heart that you know it's the emotion of a song is so much more immediate and something that's labored over is so obvious now yeah. to people hear this and like ah this is overthought yeah and i think that's yeah. a big part of the reason that like that people that were originally reacting to pop music and going to indie rock and different music to get away from something that felt generic are now going back to pop mm -hmm. because i think pop is like doing that fast emotional does this feel good and does it hit me right and that's all there is to it it's not like yeah like we got this drum yeah. sound from ocean away in nashville and it cost of a million dollars and and, <laughs> and we worked with the best guy in the world and i think that's like yeah that's dying and it's like kind of cool in a way yeah you you guys have been incredibly um prolific over the last few years you know going back to dear miss lonely hearts hold my home la divine relatively short succession here so i'm wondering did you just get in a groove in terms of songwriting or did you just have a lot to say we actually in between that moss and i did a side project that with a band that was called french style furs with another friend of our <laughs> yeah um my whistle is who actually the, the the guy that did that with us was the art director on LA Divine. Uh-huh. Yeah. Nugget. Or uh so <laughs> but we did that record French style furs. It was while we were touring Dear Miss Lonely Hearts and we were uh Nathan Workentine who played drums on that record, he lives in New York and we were there with a bunch of days off in the middle of tour and we started this record. And something about the nature of this experience that we had there these guys had recorded like a bunch of instrumental tracks like drums and bass and it really was this pivotal feeling of like this is so free and easy and hmm. um and fun i the way that the lyrics came i i think that you probably had this idea at some point but there's a writer poet that i love his name is thomas merton and i had this huge book with me 
And he was like, what if you just used his, these poems as lyrics? And it was one of those things where everything about this project came about very quickly and was so fun. It was really piecemeal, and I think working piecemeal like really helped us. Oh, we don't have to be like a four guys in a garage playing all the same time. But like focusing on like and doing it piecemeal, I think really helped us with piecemeal meaning like you know we're we're gonna do a vocal track here, we're gonna do a yeah. guitar thing here. We're gonna yeah. It's almost like everyone is like, let's make this the best song possible. Hmm. And I don't care who plays what, I don't care where it came from, I don't care anything. It's just like fast and and. Hmm. Again, like I think that's how pop music is now, and that's why I think it's like nobody's precious about the part or this is not my guitar gauge string, the string that I usually use or whatever. It's like it's just about what sounds cool, what yeah. feels cool, and, and like, you're precious about the holistic experience, not every little detail. Mm -hmm. I think, and I right. think that the more records we make, the more less precious we've been about who's doing what on what, but the fact that the record gets made is the important part and yeah. the record's dialed. So it was in that time, and then we quickly made Hold My Home after that, but I think there's, a, there's like a spark there. There's a few years of like, uh, where we did approach it more from the laboring side mm -hmm. of uh, that thing of, you know, four guys getting in a room and, you know, waiting and talking and referencing bands and all that stuff, which, you know, is like... Um, it's kind of exhausting. It's totally exhausting. <laughs> I My theory is always, like, I think of bands from the 60s that, like, the greatest eras of music, I think, like, there's always maybe, like, three to five years or maybe three records in any bands, like original members, original intention, pure democracy, the way that you approach that. And I think there's just there's no way for something to function beyond that. So at that point, you you sort of like become a little bit of a uh, an institution. Yeah, and you just have to learn. corporation. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. and I think that you know feels filthy to say, and yeah. you know to yeah. a, to a lot of people. But there is something that it's like well, you either figure out a way to do that in a way that is still inspiring and great to you, mm -hmm. um, or you're going to lose it. And I think that time period was I think pivotal to to treating Cold War kids like, okay, we can do whatever we want here. We gotta be free, and that was a freeing experience, so how do we take that? And and you guys had a history, so so you know you could bring all that history and experience to making the record that, that you wanted to make. I'm, I'm wondering if we, if we kind of roll the videotape back a little bit and think about, you know, your earliest influences what what bands because we were just talking about that what bands were you inspired by growing up i mean i always think like because um we kind of grew up all over i grew up in anaheim moss grew up in claremont i.e ontario but i say claremont because it's <laughs> I... <laughs> they have rhino records there so it's a better record so. my mom lived in corona my dad lived in redondo beach we lived in Whittier. We lived in Long Beach at one point. So we're just like spread all over. Hold on. We just had a shout out for Whittier. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, Whittier is the best and so weird. No. <laughs> no. I love that. <laughs> Whittier is weird. Um, but that's, you know, cheap, cheap rent, cheap rent. And we enjoyed like. Well, the record store was a block away levels. We went, yeah. gave them a lot of money. 
Um, where do we bands. start here? Bands. Uh, bands. My my REM and U2 are my two first favorite bands. Okay. And, Fair uh, enough. and I'm not lying. I had an older brother. We both had older brothers that gave us the good stuff. So we had friends that didn't have older brothers that they liked, you know, they were more into the not as cool stuff. But yeah. I think our, our brother. Why, why, I can't tell you how many, how many artists I've spoken to on this stage who had an older sibling that was completely influential in yeah. Yeah, the music our, that our they Our brothers are both three and a half years older than us and uh -huh. they fed us all the good stuff. Yeah. yeah. Good for them. And I was always. I I don't know. You probably weren't this way. With my brother, I was always like, "What are you playing me? This is awful." You know, and like, and I hate it. Like he would show me things, I would hate them. Why do you like this? And I and that I would hit a certain point. I go, "Oh my god!" You know. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, that. But you guys have also gone back and referenced, you know, bands like the Velvet Underground. Yeah. You know, I mean, I is, guess you know, a, a generation prior. I think, like, when I think about. Uh, brother influenced music I, like yeah the the later i feel like when we were in school together and 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 hanging out a lot and then kind of stuff like yeah the you know velvet underground and smiths or like a lot of british things and i i, I think there's something about the weird um kind of divide of like growing up in and around orange county and and the no doubts and sublimes and the bands that were enormous and internationally known like the world would have thought like that is what southern california is mm. and i think the reaction to that is is looking to things like velvet underground and the smiths and and places like you know like just new york london filthy uh not like a, a bright sunny beautiful yeah. um so would you would you say you know kind of the early years of the band were were um sort of a, a reaction to what you were hearing on the radio I don't think we even listened to the radio at that time. I mean, like, the, I, I stopped listening to the radio in junior high. I, I would always tape Richard Blade's Flashback Lunch on K Rock, and I would listen to that over and over. And it was all, it was always like Big Eye Dynamite and The Smiths and Depeche uh -huh. Mode and all that yeah. stuff. And I remember, I, even into college, I listened to those those cassette tapes like over and over. Like, still, it was crazy. Mm -hmm. But I think the the times that he's talking about. I don't think we listened to the radio at all. Like, no, I mean, like, like, we couldn't have we been further I think, from... I think we prided ourselves on not listening to the radio, like, yeah, because it was... Got it. The internet was newish, and we could... The iPod was, like, brand new. We could, like, we can listen to what we want to all the time. We don't, yeah. need, we don't need a radio. Yeah. yeah. It was also, and, and it, to really pinpoint it, it was a dark time for radio. Well, <laughs> there's, there's that, not that's why lot. I asked the question. Yeah, there, wasn't yeah. much, there wasn't much going on there. Yeah, I mean, we, we grew up in the, like, you know, the Limp Biscuit. Um, era, which that's an easy shot. Sorry. <laughs> um, uh, um, Wait, weren't we just doing that in the green room, Limp Biscuit or Smash Mouth? What, what, what was your your uh, your, your guys oh, at this game? Smash maybe. Mouth, any day I take. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> this is good to know. Uh, I'm lost. That did that didn't stop the conversation, but it sure yeah. slowed it down. Um, <laughs> Um, one of the other things you've said about, about this particular record is it gave you the chance to unplug and focus to, you know, kind of step away for a minute and focus on the work. And I'm wondering how did that help you in terms of kind of stepping away, having a chance to, to consider what it is you're doing? Um, and was, was Lars, the producer helpful in that, in that process? Yeah, uh, very much. I think one reason this record was very different was that from the time, from the kind of end of the last record and we'd be home 
from tour and I, I would go to breakfast with Lars a lot and we would just talk about you know everything the state of music and and what we thought was good and not good and and our band and where we could be and what we're doing right what we're doing wrong just kind of like everything it, and it was incredibly eye-opening to me in this way that uh he had produced um the last couple records for yeah. us and um just one of those things that uh you know i think the the experience that we have you know inevitably being in a band you're in a sort of a bubble you you don't mm -hmm. like finding those people that can sort of speak truth into your situation it's it's very hard to find somebody who's not in it with you um or you know somebody outside of it that may is going to have a tainted perspective he i think he just like yeah just kind of opened up the possibilities of kind of like what we could do and um especially now like um I think the idea of being relevant is mm. more important than ever, and, and and that could be because we've been doing this for a long time. And but I do think that like the, the climate again of like indie rock or just touring bands, like the idea of uh, like bands that started kind of post internet, post us, like the idea of making a record and having it be uh, understood and important and praised mm. before you go on tour and slag it out on the road and and try to make something for yourself, like. Um, is so different than the way that we kind of came up. And I think um, there's not like this pessimism towards wanting to be relevant, mm -hmm. wanting, want, yeah. you know, whether, and that can mean radio and that can mean um, everything, like, yeah, just the, the mainstream for all that that can mean. Like, there's not, it, it's also that thing, I was like, we know who we are. So we don't really have to change anything about who we are, but do we want to participate in that world? Like, very much, you know, and, and but that was a process of, you know, shedding some things yeah. and, and some skepticism, some years of, you know, learning we came from a different time. This is this time, mm -hmm. and we want this. Mm. Speaking of... Um indie band um and how, you know kind of how you guys look at yourselves you released this record on capital records um, indie label out of uh, Los yeah, Angeles. yeah 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 one of one of, one of your <laughs> larger indie labels um first of all i'm wondering why capital i i mean i think they just it felt right and again that thing of like almost like not bringing all the baggage of like decades and generations of musicians that you love and everything but looking at it as like this is this is what this is right here and right now a bunch mm -hmm. of great people who are really excited about us and um felt like the right move but, i mean the, the reason i ask is because you guys have not at least in my being able to read up you know a little bit about you engaged in the kind of typical anti-major label rhetoric you, you you guys seem to have been Beyond yeah, I that feel, in uh, some way. Yeah, I feel like we grew up in it, and the way that we kind of came into our first record, the first five records we did are on a label called Downtown, and they were very much this, like, uh, sort of in-between label, like not a major label, not a not a true indie label, and they had, but they operated like an indie label, and they had very few artists, and um, so I think from early on, and we were very fortunate to have a lot of labels interested mm -hmm. early on and some of them were indie labels that were like you know that the name is so impressive and rad and um but that thing of like you know i think it's always been a part of us to not be seduced by the label that had that raddest band 10 years ago and to kind of go like that doesn't mean anything to us that's yeah. not yeah yeah last question so what what do you want people to take away from this record 
I always think like when I think about what's happening, uh, like radio song wise, wanting to kind of do something that has a great impact, but is also kind of has the nuance of like uh, relationships that are not, you know, most songs kind of fall into the category of either a sad minor key song that is a breakup or like a really uplifting, wonderful new relationship song. And that's great. But the space in between of like being in a relationship that has struggles that are, aren't just like, I hate you, I'm leaving or, you know, just like the, the nuance of, of relationship and how hard it is to, to be together um, hmm. is a big part of what I think this relationship, this record has. And then, and then I guess there's things about living in Los Angeles that I think are totally unique to like living in anywhere in the rest of the world that are, you know, not like the first time anybody's ever said them, but I guess in this time and place and in this, like, you know, this presidential election and this, everything that's happening, like the idea of like the, the rest of the world is out there mm. and we're kind of here and we don't totally feel the impact of, you know, decisions or violence or whatever. I think it, we have the enormous fortune of having some distance. And I guess there's a, a feel, I hope a feeling in this record of like uh, trying to wrestle with those questions. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. we, um, we could not be more pleased that you guys took the time to come down and, and thank you so much. Chat I a little bit. So ladies and gentlemen, give it up for Nathan Woo! and Matt. Thank you guys so much. Cold War kids. Yeah, thank you. Now, most artists will tell you that recording live on the floor, everyone together, is what works best. But here we find a successful band that recognizes the benefit of a piecemeal approach, allowing every band member to really bring his strength to the song. I also found Nathan's honesty refreshing when discussing the challenge of finding people to tell him the truth, to provide him honest feedback. So that's your required listening for today. Check out LA Divine and let me know what you think. Remember, we've got fresh episodes coming every Thursday. We're on all the social platforms at Grammy Museum. If you're coming to Los Angeles, I hope you'll visit us at the Grammy Museum. All the info is at our website, grammymuseum.org. As always, my thanks to the folks that make required listening happen. Jason James, Justin Joseph, Jim Canella, Lynn Sheridan, Miranda Moore, Callie Weissman, Len Brown, Jason Hoke, Chandler Mays, Nick Stump, Ghost and Sean, and the team at How Stuff Works. Until next time, I'm Scott Goldman.